Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. Good afternoon. It is my great pleasure and honor to welcome you to the Heritage Foundation by video conference, the president of Taiwan, Madam Xi Yingwen. Madam Xi uh, was elected to office just over three years ago. This means she's headed into another election, which is exciting. As Winston Churchill famously said, democracy is the worst form of government except for all others. It is so to Taiwan's great enduring credit that its people recognize this and recognize it with enthusiasm and commitment. Taiwan stands as a beacon of democratic values for the entire Indo-Pacific region. I know it has been not been an easy three years from Madam C. Your friends on the other side of the strait don't seem to recognize the reality of Taiwan and its free system of government. I'm not talking about high diplomacy here. I'm just talking about the fact that Taiwan exists, its people are blessed with liberal freedoms, and it governs itself. It also elects its own leaders. Beijing doesn't get a vote. They have to live with the outcome. The U.S. supports Taiwan and its democracy. Under the Taiwan Relations Act, an author of which we have in the audience today, Congressman Lester Wolf, the U.S. is legally obligated to stand by Taiwan. And even so, we don't get a vote in the election either. We support the will of the Taiwan people. And that goes for Heritage, too. At Heritage, we have friends on all sides of the political spectrum in Taiwan. And we are proud to have long called presidency one of, one of our very close friends. Thank you so much for being with us today. And Madam President, we eagerly look forward to your remarks. Thank you. Thank you, President James, for your invitation and the warm introduction. And thank you to the team at Heritage including my longtime friend at Fulner for holding this event. I see that uh, Congressman Lester Wolf, a great author of Taiwan Relations Act, is also in the audience. Good afternoon to you all, as well as the members of the audience and media with us today. Now, it is wonderful to be here at the Heritage Foundation an institution that is not only at the center of politics in Washington, D.C., but also instrumental to many of the policy questions that are shaping our world today. I'm joining all of you from sunny Hawaii. 
which being at the center of the Indo-Pacific region, could not be a more fitting location for the theme of today's event. My transit here is the final stop of a week-long trip that has taken me to three of Taiwan's Pacific allies, Palau, Nauru, and the Marshall Islands. I was honored to join the president of Marshall Islands, Hilda Heine, at the first Pacific Women Leaders Coalition Conference. At the conference, as part of our commitment to support women leaders, including in business, we announced a new Women Entrepreneurship Fund for the Pacific region. Taiwan is an integral part of the Pacific and a proud partner to countries across the region. The first inhabitants of Taiwan builds, build rafts and canoes to venture from our shores in search of new islands. Today, we see traces of their language, dress, and culture evident from Southeast Asia to the Pacific Islands. The Han, Chinese, Dutch, and Spanish later came as settlers and traders, eager to take advantage of Taiwan's location at the crossroads between China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. And even now, in the 21st century, Taiwan is still a country that is very much dependent on the blue waters of Pacific Ocean. With an economy centered on trade, people that have grown more multicultural, and a society that is increasingly globalized. The Pacific has much to offer Taiwan, but Taiwan also has much to offer the Pacific. Taiwan is a force for good in the region. We are a democracy and the only democratic Chinese-speaking country in the world, showing, as Vice President Pan said, a better path forward for all the Chinese people. We are proud that freedom and human rights are the basis of our values, and we are determined to take the lead in improving livelihoods across the Pacific. Our technical and medical teams are working tirelessly thousands of miles from home. Our NGOs are striving to be the first responders to natural disasters. And the people of Taiwan are deeply committed to fostering a more peaceful, stable, and prosperous regional environment. Taiwan is an ideal partner as the United States and other like-minded countries reaffirm their enduring commitment to the region. And today, I want to make clear that we are ready to play our part in, in ensuring that the Indo-Pacific remains free and open for generations to come. Our approach to the Indo-Pacific centers on the three core principles, democracy, regional prosperity, and collective security. First, in terms of security, in terms of democracy, Recent trends clearly show that like-minded countries must be much more proactive in defending democratic values, both at home and abroad. As Ronald Reagan told the British Parliament, in defense of 
democracy during the waning years of the Cold War. He said, optimism comes less easily today, not because democracy is less vigorous, but because democracy's enemies have refined the instruments of repression. Yet optimism is in order because day by day democracy is proving itself to be a not-at-all fragile flower. Today, the introduction of new tools of political and economic subversion, coupled with new forms of media disinformation, have made President Reagan's remarks truer than ever. Taiwan is at the forefront of these challenges, which will define whether Taiwan can remain free and democratic or will, will bow to the pressure of authoritarianism and control. As a result, my administration has pledged to be much more forceful in defending Taiwan's hard-worn freedoms and ensuring that our country continues to be a beacon of democracy for the Indo-Pacific. Because we know how important it is for Taiwan to continue being the light that shines directly into some of the darkest corners of the region. Earlier this month, I laid out a seven-point plan to protect our democracy, the rule of law, and economic vibrancies amid mounting pressure from China to accept a one-country-to-systems model. We are taking a much more aggressive approach to counteract the Chinese government's infiltration of our society and economy, as well as their interference in our domestic affairs. We'll also be more active in aligning ourselves with other like-minded countries that are facing similar challenges around the world. Yesterday in Taiwan, we held a regional workshop for anti-corruption in public and private sectors in Taiwan. This event, part of the Global Cooperation and Training Framework, was notable because, for the first time, it was jointly held not only with the United States, but with Japan as well. Furthermore, last week, Taiwan and the United States announced the establishment of a new annual event called the Indo-Pacific Democratic governance consultations. The first meeting in September will leverage our respective strengths and shared values to help address governance challenges facing countries in the region. That follows another important milestone from this month, when Taiwan held the first religious freedom dialogue in the Indo-Pacific. We firmly believe in the freedom to worship without fear of persecution, and this conference was testament to that. We are also stepping up our engagements in the Pacific Islands, where China has engaged in a campaign to increase their influence in the region. We have noticed growing awareness of China's effort by the United States, Australia, New Zealand, and other responsible stakeholders. 
Taiwan is grateful for the United States' support in keeping our diplomatic allies. We remain committed to working with like-minded countries to protect the core values of good governance, accountability, and sustainable development in the Pacific. Second, Taiwan as a major trading nation seeks to play a greater role in fostering regional prosperity through trade, investment, and respect for a rule-based economic system. Over the past few years, we have aggressively pursued stronger economic and commercial linkages with South and Southeast Asia under our new Southbound policy. In 2018, our bilateral trade with countries under our new Southbound policy reached 117 billion US dollars, a 6% increase from the previous years. In that same period, inbound investment has grown 43% and inbound tourism by 14%. In India, we successfully concluded a new bilateral investment agreement in December last year. And in Vietnam, Chinese companies are nearing the completion of a new 600 million US dollar petrochemical plant on the outskirts of the Ho Chi Minh city. Our new Southbound policy has been a success, reconnecting Taiwan with the economic miracles taking place in South and Southeast Asia, the heart of the Indo-Pacific region. We're also devoting greater efforts to address the infrastructure deficit around the region. Taiwan was once a major recipient of aid from the United States, which helped us blossom into an economic powerhouse. Today, we want to use our resources to play a similarly positive and constructive role, from building new sports stadiums in the Solomon Islands and Pulau, to the joint international development of new commercial projects elsewhere in the Pacific. We want to work hand-in-hand hand to support the national development of our regional partners. We also see opportunities to make sustainable investments in infrastructure, energy, digital economy, agriculture, and public health under our official development system that is ODA program. And we are partnering with the U.S. Overseas Private Investment Corporation, that is OPEC, which was featured by President Trump's Built Act to identify possibilities in the region. In terms of trade, Taiwan is determined to lead by example. This is important, especially because the United States and the European unions are demanding that countries do more to protect trade secrets, intellectual property, and maintain a free and fair trading system. This year, the Heritage Foundation ranked Taiwan as a top 10 country in their index of economic freedom. Citing our achievements in enhancing the rule of law, regulatory efficiency, and open markets, I know because uh, Ed personally presented me with a copy in January. This helps 
bolster our case as we seek to engage in free trade agreements and join the high standard regional trading blocks such as CPTPP that will shape the future of trade in the Indo-Pacific region. As I have mentioned in the past, leaving Taiwan out not only means that a key trading regional partner will be absent, it will also create a gap in the global high-tech supply chain where Taiwan plays an essential role. Third, Taiwan is committed to strengthening the sense of collective security across the Indo-Pacific region. Taiwan continues to face monumental challenges from across the Taiwan Strait. My administration has not wavered in responding in a pragmatic and responsible manner that takes into account our shared interests in the region. We have continued to seek coexistence instead of confrontation and reconciliation instead of conflict. We have sought balance in the cross-strait relationship in terms of our rhetoric and our actions in order to maintain the status quo underpinning peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. But despite our best intentions, China has used every opportunity to alter the status quo. They have continued to undermine our democratic institutions, heighten military tensions, and degrade our international space. This has led to growing distrust by the people of Taiwan, posing an underlying challenge to the future of cross-strait relations. China's action have underscored the need for Taiwan to increase our self-defense and deterrence capabilities. To be clear, we seek peace, not hostility, but we must be capable of defending our freedom, democracy, and way of life. This is my fundamental responsibility as president of the country. Fortunately, in facing these challenges, Taiwan does not stand alone. The United States' commitment to Taiwan is stronger than ever. We will continue to see closer partnerships with like-minded countries, countries so that we can fulfill the promise of the Indo-Pacific strategy. That is the idea that by supporting one another, countries can remain free and sovereign without being subject to coercion. As a democratic country with the basis of authoritarianism on our doorstep, we believe that Taiwan's security is a matter of collective security and that Taiwan's future remains closely tied with the future of this region as a whole. Taiwan's home is the Indo-Pacific, and our vision for the Indo-Pacific is clear. It is rooted in our shared desire to sustain the rules-based framework that has been at the heart of this region's prosperity since the Second World War. We believe any effort to challenge that framework will be a fundamental mistake. We stand ready and will work closely with any and all countries that share this view. Taiwan has a lot to contribute in terms of advancing 
democracy, regional prosperity, and collective security. We will continue to work in the common interest of all like-minded partners in the region, and we are committed to enduring that, ensuring that Indo-Pacific remains free and open for generations to come. Thank you. Thank you very much, Madam President. On behalf of all of us here in the audience and the many, many people who are watching this live on the Internet, we are honored that you are with us today. Uh, we're delighted that we're going to have this opportunity for a full and frank discussion. And I particularly want to thank my successor, our dear friend, Dr. Kay James, who did such a nice job introducing you and who very much supports our commitment to a strong U.S.-Taiwan relationship. Before I ask for a comment, I also want to dwell just for a moment on the presence of the extraordinary senior member, really, of the House of Representatives who joins us here today, the Honorable Lester Wolf. Congressman Wolf, who recently celebrated his 100th birthday, is one of the original authors, the primary authors, really, of the Taiwan Relations Act 40 years ago. And in a conversation with him just before we started this program, Madam President, uh, he tells me that he has a book forthcoming within the next month or so in commemoration of the 40th anniversary of the signing of the Taiwan Relations Act here, in which he will set forth the reason why it's so important. So, Madam President, my first request to you would be, I hope you will invite Lester Wolf back to Taipei very soon for a book launch. Well, certainly the invitation is here. I mean, I am conveying the invitation now, and we look forward to see him in, to seeing him in Taipei and receiving him. We'll treat him nicely. <laughs> Thank you, Madam President. Thank you for honoring us with your presence, Lester. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, as we look around at so many longtime friends uh, who are very knowledgeable about the bilateral relationship and about the role of Taiwan in the world today, uh, I see several representatives of our sister institutions. And when I look particularly at Ken Weinstein, the president of the Hudson Institute, I uh, remind him that he's not a competitor, but that we are complementary lighthouses, both uh, illuminating different aspects of some of the very same problems that face us. And Ken, from my conversations with you, I know that you have a particular question that you might want to present to the president. Would you lead off the discussion? Hello? Okay, great. There it goes. Great. First, let me know how honored I am uh, to be in your presence once again, Madam President. Uh, though I wish it were face-to-face, -face, and hopefully that will take place at some point before too long uh, here in Washington. And I'm deeply honored to be given the opportunity to ask the first question by my friend and mentor, Ed Fulner, and by his uh, 
What incredible successor, Kay James. Uh, we at Hudson Institute stand shoulder to shoulder with the people of Taiwan, with our dear friends at the Heritage Foundation as well. Now, I have two questions actually I wanted to ask. The first one is, uh, in the face of your stated efforts, stated very eloquently at uh, your inauguration and stated again today to maintain the status quo in relationship to the People's Republic of China, uh, in, um, a, uh, net, a significant increase in efforts by the People's Republic of China to seek to undermine Taiwan's democracy, as you mentioned, overt and covert actions uh, Taiwan, uh, including uh, the recent uh, statement in January uh, in which he uh, called uh, for the uh, reunification of uh, Taiwan uh, with the mainland. Uh, my question for you, how do you see uh, the development of cross-strait relations going forward? What do you, what do you see both now and uh, the near future and beyond uh, between the people of Taiwan and uh, the People's Republic of China. Thank you. Thank you. Can I can I answer now? Please go right ahead. Thank you. All right, good. My position on cross-strait relations continues to be clear. That is, we need to be pragmatic. We need to maintain the status quo. And we need to continue being a responsible stakeholder. They have not been made this easy. Beijing has continued to focus on what they want, the 1992 consensus, one China, and eventually a one country, two systems model for Taiwan. They have not thought about what the people of Taiwan want, which is to be able to maintain our way of life and the ability to make our own decision free of coercion. Now, we need to be able to sit down and have frank discussions about how we can find common ground without preconditions. Now, both sides must be willing as a first step to show goodwill so that we are able to create a more lasting trust across the Taiwan Strait. I remain committed to this, and I think our friends and partners around the world remain supportive of this process as well. Thank you, Madam President. Uh, Ken, did you, you're coming up again. Now. Yeah, I've got a, a second question, which I wanted to ask you if, uh, if I can, and that's about your recent trip to uh, uh, the Marshall Islands, uh, to uh, Nauru and to Palau. Oceania is obviously critical to uh, Taiwan's, uh, critical place for Taiwan's diplomatic allies, but the PRC is investing very heavily in there in an attempt in part to, to ply away some of these allies. Uh, how over the long term does Taiwan maintain its uh, significant diplomatic presence and economic presence uh, in Oceania? And what else, aside from what you mentioned in your speech, can the United States do uh, to be of assistance in this region. Thank you very much. Well, it's true that China continues to increase their actions uh, in the Pacific, including in our diplomatic allies. Their purpose is to bring these countries closer to them economically, politically, and to a certain extent, strategically. There has been an increased awareness of this issue by the U.S., 
Australia, Japan, and other stakeholders. Many like-minded countries see the challenge that China's action pose in terms of debt, stability, and good governance issues that are extremely important in the Pacific. This is why I think it's essential for Taiwan and like-minded countries to work together to create a values-based partnership in the Pacific. I believe that when given a choice, Pacific states would prefer that assistance and investments come from countries that share their values and interests. And as a result, I will enhance our cooperation with the U.S. in areas of private investment, including through overseas private investment cooperation. We will ensure that our current assistance into infrastructure, education, healthcare, and agriculture corresponds closely with the actual needs of their people and find ways to invite other like find ways to invite other like-minded countries to play a role. We will more broadly share the good narratives we have been building, not only with their governments, but also everyday people. And on the flip side, cooperate with partners to counter the Chinese narrative and share examples of areas where the Chinese have not lived up to their promises in the region. We believe our values underpin each and every one of our relationships in the Pacific, and we want to actively work with like-minded countries to build a broad partnership to ensure that these values are protected. Thank you very much, Madam President, for speaking so directly and positively to these uh, questions that have been raised by Ken and by others in the audience. I mentioned uh, complementary lighthouses, and certainly Dan Blumenthal represents another one of those, the director of the Asian Studies Center at the American Enterprise Institute. Dan, I understood you uh, wanted to ask a question. Would you please let us know? Yes. Uh, thank you very much, and thank you very much for your inspiring speech. And I know all of us want you here in Washington, but you're probably very happy to be in Hawaii. Um, so we're, we're really covering a lot of ground with your virtual presence here and your real presence in Hawaii. And I think that's uh, exactly what we need for the U.S.-Taiwan relationship. Um, but I wanted to ask you a question about, about security, and uh, especially since the 40th anniversary of the TRA is, is, uh, is upon us. Um, a lot of times over the, uh, over the last few decades, we've thought about Taiwan security, security only in the context of deterring war. But as a lot of people have alluded to, the uh, Chinese Communist Party's uh, operations with the PLA in and around Taiwan and in and around the first island chain have grown to be a daily occurrence in which they are using military coercion and demonstrations of force uh, in a non-war setting. And so what I wanted, uh, and this is, this is Taiwan really living uh, on a daily basis with a gun point pointed to its head, and I, as well as pushing you back on uh, airspace and, and basic issues of sovereignty uh, in ways they haven't done before. So I wanted to ask you um, 
uh, as the Commander-in-Chief of the Taiwan Armed Forces, how will you direct your own armed forces, not in the stage of war, but in the stage of non-war, to push back, to resist, to confront Chinese forces who are upon you on, on an almost daily basis throughout the important maritime straits, not just the Taiwan Straits, around you and in the airspace and so on? Is it, is it time to get more aggressive uh, as China is doing and making sure that they don't create de facto uh, undermining of your, of your sovereignty? Thank you very much. Of course, uh, my number one uh, uh, priority uh, is to ensure that our 23 million people, our democracy, and our way of life are all well protected. Now, strengthening our armed forces so that we have the capacity to deter aggression is a core part of that. This year, we're seeing the third consecutive year of defense budget increases for the first time in recent history. These funds have been directed into programs that will make a real difference in Taiwan's defense, including uh, symmetrical capabilities, training, and ensuring that the trans transition to the all-volunteer force proceeds smoothly. We are building for ourselves capabilities that we need, but have not been able to procure such as submarines and trainer jets. After long years of decline, our defense industries are coming back to life. We are grateful that the United States has continued to sell this equipment that after careful review are based on Taiwan's actual needs. We are pleased to have submitted new requests for M1 tanks and F-16V fighters jets, which will greatly enhance our land and air capabilities, strengthen military morale, and show to the world the U.S. commitment to Taiwan's defense. We're also investing heavily into training as well as modernizing our defense strategies to prioritize the use of asymmetrical capabilities so that they more closely correspond with the realities of threat we face. Altogether, I hope that these actions will ensure that the people of Taiwan remain able to choose our own future free of coercion. Thank you, Madam President. I note that our congressional guests have arrived, but first, Rupert Hammond Cave runs the Taiwan U.S. Uh, Economic Organization. And quick question, maybe, on uh, where we are. Hello, Madam President. It's Rupert here. Um, it's very, very nice to see you. I'd like to echo Dan's sentiment. It's just fantastic to see you in Washington. Um, I'd invite you every week if it was up to me. Um, I, 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 you know, um, just after, um, uh, in the 1990s, um, your long and, and highly accomplished career all the way through to president of your country, you were a trade negotiator, and I'd like to draw you a little bit on the trade relationship between our two countries. Obviously, it's a hugely significant and strategic glue in our, in our bilateral relations. But we're a wee bit stuck right now in, uh, in bilateral relations. How do you see the stakes 
in the economic relationship between your country and the United States? What vision do you have for breaking the impasses that we have? And also importantly, if the US and Taiwan are able to secure a breakthrough in the commercial relationship, what impact would that have on your country's ability to engage the rest of the world in bilateral and multilateral trade agreements? Thanks so much. Well, Taiwan has consistently been a great economic partner of the U.S. We are your 11th largest trading partner. Just over the past year, we have seen a number of Taiwanese companies expand their investments in the petrochemical and aluminum sectors. We have announced new purchases of natural gas and soybeans. Taiwan is punching above our weight. The question is where uh, do we go from here? If we look at Taiwan's strategic situation more his holistically, there is a very real need for us to engage further on trade. Broadly, this includes discussions on Taiwan's role in the global high-tech supply chain, amid concerns of technology theft and control over 5G networks. It includes strategic considerations on how we can reduce our trade reliance on China as they increase their political influence in Taiwan, primarily using economic actors. It includes many questions that require us to sit down and have serious conversations about. Therefore, our priority remains to enter discussions for a bilateral trade agreement with the U.S. This will be mutually beneficial and reflective of the Trump administration's economic engagement in Asia. It also makes sense strategically bringing Taiwan's high-tech supply chain closer to the U.S., and diversifying our trade to partners that share our interests and values. And if we can have a breakthrough in trade with the U.S., this would be very helpful in terms of encouraging many other trading partners to do the same. Thank you, Madam President. As I said, I see our congressional guests are here. Senator, Congressman, will you please come up and uh, join me on the stage? Uh, we're very honored indeed to have Hi, Congressman. Congressman Yoho from Florida here, the ranking member on the Armed Service, on the Asia Pacific Subcommittee of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, and Senator Cory Gardner, the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Subcommittee on Asia Pacific Affairs. I always remind my uh, any newcomers to uh, Washington that the House has fa affairs and that the Senate has relations. Uh, and Some have done both. <laughs> and gentlemen, I just call your attention to the presence of uh, former Congressman Lester Wolf, uh, who is one of the original authors of the Taiwan Relations Act and who honors us with his presence here. Uh, let me throw one out to both of you. We've seen significant actual legislation come through both houses on a very strong bipartisan basis. Is this a kind of a renewed sense of vigor and energy and the U.S.-Taiwan relationship, you think? Can I stand up first? Please. 
President Tsai, I just want to say Anyan Haseyo. Oh. <laughs> and welcome to America, and you're a Gator, so go Gators. <laughs> Um, yeah, there is a, there is a, I don't want to say renewed, but there is a strong sense that, you know, as the world changes, there is this feeling that we have to stick together. And, you know, we can go back to the six assurances of uh, President Reagan. We have a commitment, and we're going to honor that commitment. And Taiwan, as President Tsai has said, uh, punches way above their weight. And they have given so much to the world that they've been suppressed by the Chinese government of their, due to their insecurity for various reasons, uh, that we've just had the, the celebration of um, Mr. Uh, Congressman Wolf's um, Taiwan Relations Act, uh, which is historic. Uh, we had the, um, the, we put in a free trade agreement uh, that we're promoting for Taiwan. And then we have been pushing for the WHA to allow Taiwan to participate on a world stage as they used to. And this is something, if we don't step up now today, is this going to be easier to do two to three to five years from now? And I think it's, we all see the writing on the wall. We have to make a strong stand to protect uh, a trusted ally and partner. Senator. Thank you, President Tsai. Welcome to Washington, as was said earlier. And if he said it right, I echo his comments. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, thank you to the Heritage uh, Foundation for leading, leading this, uh, this discussion. Uh, I can think of perhaps one other country that shares the type of bipartisan support uh, that we see uh, in our relationship with Taiwan. Um, there are very few areas where you can look across the globe and say Republicans and Democrats can act consistently on the same page in the same direction with the strength of support that we have acted with Taiwan uh, and, and will continue to act with Taiwan. Uh, if you look at the legislation over the past few years, uh, uh, Congressman Yoho and I have worked uh, uh, consistently and continuously uh, to push major legislation through the Congress uh, regarding our strong uh, relationship with Taiwan and growing stronger. Uh, the Asia Reassurance Initiative Act that was signed into law on December 31st, which reiterates our support for uh, Taiwan which includes the six uh, assurances, which includes the uh, Taiwan Travel Act, which includes the, uh, the participation in international organizations, on and on and on. But to your point, um, this is growing in support. This er effort is growing in strength, and the bipartisan coalition that it represents sends a strong message around the globe that we are committed to Taiwan. Absolutely. Thank you. Madam President, would you like to react to those comments? Well, I'm uh, listening to what the two gentlemen have to say, um, Congressman Yoho and, and Senator Gartner. Uh, I want to say I'm very, very grateful for the comment you made just now. And, and we are very grateful for Congress' uh, long-standing bipartisan support for Taiwan. Now, as the Congress reflects the will of the people, I mean, this shows that American people's commitment to building stronger and more durable ties uh, with uh, Taiwan. Especially uh, as we reflect on the Taiwan Relations Act, it shows that Congress has and continues to play a vital role in defending Taiwan's democracy and ensuring that our people have the right to choose their own future free of coercion grateful that uh, the, the Congress has been 
very supportive, and and it's not only verbally. The Congress actually takes actions uh, to support Taiwan. So, on behalf of the government and people of Taiwan, I want to thank you both, and also all members of the Congress and Senate. Thank you. Thank you, Madam President. Uh, Senator Gardner, I was looking through some old files, and it was 27 years ago that I was in Taiwan at a conference with late Senator Malcolm Wallop from Wyoming, and we first proposed a bilateral free trade agreement between the United States and Taiwan. And this is something that it seems to me people on both sides of the political aisle in both houses would enthusiastically support. Can we give that a good push and yeah, get I, behind it and make it happen? I, I think this is actually an imperative uh, that we pursue. Uh, and, and I know uh, progress is being made. In the Asia Reassurance Initiative, uh, we, we actually uh, put the, the language for multilateral, bilateral uh, trade agreements into the bill. Uh, it's been signed into law. It is something that we should pursue. It's something we should have. It's something that we need. Uh, in President Tsai's comments, uh, you know, I had the chance to visit with President Tsai uh, many times, many times in Taiwan uh, and uh, also in Los Angeles. So when she was in Los Angeles in transit, and I, and I you know, uh, believe that every time we have talked, we've talked about trade and trade opportunities and how to enter into uh, the appropriate trade agreement for the United States Taiwan to get this done. But it's absolutely imperative. We need it done. We need it done now. Uh, and uh, you bet we're pushing it hard. Good, good. And, and I agree with that. And, in fact, I just left uh, a meeting on the Foreign Affairs Committee, and Secretary Pompeo was there, and we talked about high-level meetings uh, to Taiwan from the State Department and other cabinet members, and this is something we fully endorse. And our trade is important between our nations, but more important than that is our common beliefs in the values that we hold, the democracies that we have together, and I think that in itself is the thing that really binds us together. The trade is a secondary thing and it's very important, but we have to stick together on the beliefs that we have as independent, um, sovereign nations that believe in freedom and liberty. And I thank you for your strong stance and um, your gravitas and willing to hold firm on that uh, for the people of Taiwan. So I thank you. Another key area that Dan Blumenthal referred to, Madam President, is arms sales. Are we doing what we should be doing in terms of the Taiwan Relations Act requirements for the United States to actually work with you and your Ministry of Defense in terms of supplying the appropriate arms? And, You've mentioned, of course, that your defense budget has been up the last three years, and uh, we support that, but clearly the threat is also increasing. Can you perhaps give us a little further thought in terms of if, are we doing anything wrong? Are we, can we do more at this end? Uh, the short answer is yes. We are able to have frank discussions with the U.S. on the right equipment for Taiwan's defense. And the U.S. is responding positively to our request. And secondly, I feel uh, the regularization of arms sales is going in the right direction so that the process is less politicized and more responsive to our defense needs. Now, in terms of the budget, I have made clear our commitment, which is 
uh, that big ticket items will be managed through a special uh, budget, and this will not impact on regular defense budget, which will continue to increase based on the challenges coming from across the strait. Yeah, I'd like to thank President Tsai for those increases in budgets. We've talked about that before, and thank you for your leadership. Uh, as her opening, as her statement stated, uh, as she made the statement that the, uh, Taiwan sits at the doorstep of the bastion of authoritarianism, uh, and uh, this is important to, to protect and defend uh, the, the democracy, uh, the only Chinese-speaking democracy, as she said in the statement. Um, and I think that that. ARIA, the bill that we passed and signed, uh, has the language on routine and regularized arms sales. Uh, we take the politics out of it. If this happens every one or two years versus every five years, which gets drug, drug out to seven years, and I think if we depoliticize that, this will become a much more routine uh, directive. We have that in ARIA. Uh, we also uh, you know, have worked uh, closely with the administration on this. You mentioned 27 years ago you were in Taiwan. It was 2004, the first time I was in Taiwan. We were talking then about some of the very same uh, purchases in 2004 that we are in 2019 from the first time I was there. Uh, this is something that we can do better, uh, Aria and uh, President Tsai's leadership will make that happen. And I commend you for the, the commitment uh, with you increasing your defense budget. It shows the commitment that you have, and I think that's something you're going to see with us. And of course, um, when this administration took over, or actually the last administration, we put in a bill that got absorbed into the NDAA, which is our National Defense Authorization Act, that called on the administration, the Obama administration then, to do frequent uh, freedom of navigations as we had done in the past. And, of course, you just saw uh, the passage of one of our military vessels, and we're going to continue that. And it's not as, this is not to be provocative. This is to show that we stand with our, um, our, our allies and our partners, and uh, we want to let people know that we stand committed to the agreements that we've had. Thank you. Uh, Madam President, on Monday of this week, here at Heritage, we had the opportunity to hear from a, a longtime friend of ours, a neighbor of yours, uh, former Chief Secretary Anson Chan uh, from Hong Kong, who served both when under the last term of the, of the British occupation and under the first term of the Chinese occupation under one country, two systems. Now, President Xi, of course, in his January uh, speech, talked about Taiwan and one country, two systems. Let me just say that Anson was not very enthusiastic about where one country, two systems is going with regard to Hong Kong, and I suspect you're even less enthusiastic about the prospects of that for Taiwan, but maybe you might say something about that, and then I'd ask our congressional uh, guests if they would comment on what we can learn from Hong Kong in terms of how Washington, Beijing ought to interact. Right, thank you. Uh, Hong Kong example is deeply concerning, and it is a good case study for Taiwan. It reflects that democracy is inherently incompatible with the Chinese regime, especially the CCP system. Now, Hong Kong is a reminder that all politicians in Taiwan, regardless of part, political party, should carefully avoid falling into a trap laid by China, which include economic incentives and other promises 
but ultimately leads to the same destination that is one country, two systems. So sooner or later, just like how the 1992 consensus has become one country, two systems, that one country, two system will become just one country, which is the example of Hong Kong, and 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 it's exactly what Hong Kong is going through right now. And I understand the former uh, uh, governor uh, of Hong Kong has this concern. Um, I'm sorry, uh, the Hong Kong chief administrator has this concern. Um, but the Hong Kong is offered this uh, uh, formula of uh, two systems uh, uh, under one country, but the two systems uh, do not seem to be respected that much. So um, I think the experience of Hong Kong uh, teaches the Taiwanese a lot. That is why uh, uh, the, the, the vast majority, and oh, I think almost all Taiwanese, have this uh, resistance uh, towards this idea of one country system, and the poll actually shows that as well. We just met with Miss um, um, Chan. She came to our office, and we got talking about the transfer of, of the transition from 1997 of Hong Kong from Great Britain to, to China, how it was supposed to be an autonomous transfer, a sovereign transfer, no interference from China. Here we are 22 years into it. Xi Jinping says that that contract was null and void. It no longer exists. So you say this is a case study. I think it is a wake-up call of what is to come in the future if you do not stand strong. And I think this is something that um, to participate in the world we have today, you know, where it's a global world, there has to be honor and respect of contracts. If the Chinese uh, party, if the Xi Jinping will not honor a contract of 50 years and they're already breaking it, if we do not, if we, you do not pre prepare today together, uh, we know what the writing on the wall is. And I think this is something that these kind of aggression and provocative actions that we're seeing coming out of China, if we do not stand up today, we won't be able to. And again, this is not to bring any ill on China. We just want them to participate in agreements that were agreed to. I, I think uh, Hong Kong experience shows that the one country, two systems is the same result. One country, two systems, same result, that uh, the experience shared there needs to be looked and viewed around the world uh, with, with the lesson uh, that China has, has given us in what they would do. Uh, so I had the chance to meet with Anson Chan in Hong Kong uh, several years back, Martin Lee and others uh, that we met with, uh, and I remember talking about uh, the initial uh, leadership of President Xi, and there was some hope uh, that he would be a reformer uh, and that he was taking steps necessary to uh, make those reforms, and then he would come back and provide uh, the, the sort of deal uh, keeping that they had thought they would have in Hong Kong. And uh, certainly that's not the case as we've seen uh, freedom indexes decline, economic freedoms uh, decline, uh, as uh, Taiwan's uh, freedom index has increased and is now, I believe, in the top ten uh, in Heritage's own analysis. Can I add something else really? to that? If Xi Jinping says that that contract between Great Britain and China is no longer void, does that give us the right as the United States to say that Henry Kissinger and Richard Nixon, one country, two systems, should be null and void? 
That's the question. So, you know, I think if they go down that route, why does that not allow Taiwan and us to say the same thing? I don't know if you want to comment on that, Madam President, but... I won't ask you to comment on that. That was a question for the audience, but just want you to let you know what we're thinking here. Uh, Madam President, I think you've, you've heard from both the senator and the congressman great enthusiasm for continued close rela relationship and collaboration between the United States and Taiwan and, and enhanced uh, vigor to that relationship. As you look ahead and putting aside short-term political issues, you were in charge of cross-straits relations. How do you, what do you see for the midterm? Uh, talk to us about that, would you please? Well, our intention, uh, intentions are clear. We want to build a positive relationship and we want to work with the other side in a manner that is conducive to our people and businesses, as well as peace and stability in the cross strait. But to do this, China has to be willing to work with us for these uh, common objectives. And they must be willing to sit down without preconditions uh, so that we can build a more positive relationship. So far, this has not happened. So we continue to be uh, open uh, to new opportunities, provided that they understand that Taiwan, a democracy, any decision made by our leaders must be supported by the people. Thank you. Thank you. Gentlemen, do you have any kind of closing thoughts as we wrap up our hour together? Yeah, look, uh, thank you, Ed and Heritage, and everybody who's participating in the presence. I, a particular thank you uh, to you for your leadership. Uh, and I have invited, uh, I, I've sent a letter of invitation to, a request for invitation to Speaker Pelosi that President Tsai be invited to address a joint session of, of Congress as a voice of democracy, as a democratic leader. And if you look at what she has uh, been doing over the past several days in the Pacific, uh, leading the first ever Pacific Women's Leaders Conference uh, and uh, the work that they are doing to fund that, this is a voice of democracy that needs to be heard. Uh, Congress has regularly brought those voices of democracy before it so it, we can showcase around the globe uh, that leadership. That's exactly what needs to be done. And I look forward to continuing uh, to strengthen this relationship because uh, the, the, the authoritarian risk becomes more real with each and every day. And we have to stand up for those values, the people who share our values, and the friendship and alliances that we've created thanks to the foresight of so many people. Thank you. Thank you. Congressman. I, I, I can second everything you said because I agree in the same, and we're supportive of you coming here. Um, you know, I just think it's something at, 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 in today's world, in the 21st century, you're a country with your own economy, your own form of government, your own national anthem, your own military, um, and you're very, I'm sure, very well aware the, the article I wrote that it's time to recognize Taiwan for the country it is. I can say that. I don't expect anybody else to say that um, because it is, and I think it's time in the 21st century, everything that Taiwan has contributed to the world from uh, intellectual technology to the health realm uh, to agriculture, everything that you have contributed that you should be recognized and I would hope that China would embrace the success, not just that Taiwan has had, but the free world has had, and that they should celebrate that instead of trying to subdue it. And um, 
Uh, we wish you the best of luck and the continued success that you've had. And again, welcome to America. I, uh, Madam President, the last word. Yeah, I appreciate um, the enthusiastic support of the Congressman and the Senator. And it is important that we continue to share Taiwan's story here in the U.S. And I look forward uh, to working with you and the administration to find new and innovative ways of doing so. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Madam President. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all. The meeting is adjourned. What a special hour this has been.